episode 76 of Friends of Film, a podcast that slays movie news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover Just League reshoots, R-rated MCU films, X-Men, Dark Phoenix, and more after you view Cars 3. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again, George Man, who still has not seen a Mission Impossible film, Josh Straley. And that, Cooper, may be the impossible mission, getting me down for all five of those Tom Cruise movies. You got about a year, so there, there's time. Mm-hmm. But after the Mummy last week, anything with Tom Cruise just doesn't sound right. You just can't get on board with the Cruise machine, but you know, maybe one day. I the think cruise. Mission Impossible is the way to do it. It's it's a slow start, I'll admit, but they get pretty fun and ridiculous. They say this is the role Tom Cruise was made for. So yes. perhaps is Alec Baldwin in all of them? Uh, no, he is just in he's maybe just in five he may be in four as well but i can't remember okay uh but anyways this week we're here for cars three not mission impossible six unfortunately uh because pixar's another movie out we're gonna review it uh there may be spoiler talk about this i'm not really sure if there is there'll be a timestamp in the description of this episode so you can skip ahead of that but otherwise we're going to get into our view of cars three and I don't think this is one of Pixar's best movies. It's lower on their totem pole in mm-hmm. terms of my favorites, but I don't think it is a bad movie. I still think it is a good, solid movie. It, you, it can be enjoyable uh, for most of it. Uh, you can tell that Pixar continues to make leaps and bounds in animation. There are certain shots once they get to Smokey's uh, Ranch or Palace or whatever it's called, yeah. that little section, mm-hmm. where that racetrack looks just it looks real. There were moments where I was like, this could be actual footage of like actual grass, actual dirt. I'm not actually sure. But the movie has a relatively fun plot. You know, you get to see McQueen back in action after the crash, after Jackson Storm takes over the racing scene. Uh, it's always good to have Owen Wilson back. He, he's great as Lightning McQueen. He makes him, you know, the charismatic uh, guy who's also, you know, just very cocky. He humbles himself a little bit in this movie and the adventure that he goes on with uh cruz ramirez is enjoyable for the most part uh even though eventually i do think the movie and the plot kind of just comes to almost a halt and you're just kind of waiting for the redemption race to happen um a lot of that i think falls on kind of the style this movie's made it feels both like the end of a franchise, but the beginning of a new one uh, by the introduction of Cruz Ramirez. She has a very strong through line throughout the movie where you can continue to tell that, okay, there's something different about this where she has more you know, screen time than you would think for what would be you know, the big buildup to Lightning McQueen's possible final race. Um, and the buildup to that a lot of crazy stuff, you know, whether it's, you know, the figure eight arena uh, or basically they're like, they're like rally cars or, uh, you know, training on the beach, a lot of different things. Uh, it's all it's all enjoyable, but it's not necessarily the enjoyment level I've had with other Pixar movies. Um, it has a great supporting cast all around, both uh, around Owen Wilson, whether it's, you know, Chris Cooper, Nathan Fillion, Army Hammer, Bonnie Hunt, Kerry Washington. Uh, plus the late great Paul Newman is in there. Yeah, uh, he is. Well, as Doc Hudson, kind of. Uh, it's it's very weird. I'm not really sure how they did that. Besides just restored voice stuff that yeah. he had that they probably had on track before. Did you feel weirded out by that at all, or did you or did you just appreciate hearing Paul Newman again? 
I I wasn't weirded out by it the first time it happened. Okay. But then it continued to happen over and over again, and that's where I was like, this is a little too much. I understand having him in there for that one scene, but to ha- continue to push him in there, I was like, okay, I don't I don't need it. I get it. You're trying to honor him. Sure. Um, but I didn't necessarily need that as much as it was in there. Um, once we get to the final race, I mean, if you've seen the marketing, it's all about, you know, the crash that happens at the beginning of the movie and then Lightning McQueen, you know, sacrificing almost his brand potentially to continue to race. But the final race isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be or probably what you thought it was going to be. And it was a little strange the way it played out with, you know, just the way the 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 way the race ends, Lightning McQueen's participation in it, and it ends the movie with with again. It feels like okay, this was both the end of a franchise and the beginning of a new one, with you know Lightning in a different role moving forward. If Cars Four and Beyond you know do happen, mm-hmm. so uh, it's a movie that I didn't hate watching. Uh, I would I enjoyed my time for most of it, so I'm gonna give it three ticket stubs out of five. Oh, okay. That's not... I, th- I actually thought you might go lower, so... Oh, that surprise. Is, that's great to hear. <laughs> um, but, okay, so Cars 2 is the redheaded stepchild of this Cars 3 series, and the Cars 3 does what I thought was the best thing possible, and it was to pretend that didn't happen yeah. at all, and that was the best move. So think of Cars um, and Cars 3 as being, you know a one-two punch and the the whole movie makes much more sense. I've always liked the cars movies. I mean, uh, I just thought it was a awesome, you know, idea to create a universe where uh, cars exist. Cause then you have to wonder, well, who, why where are the humans? Yeah. Where yeah. are the humans? Like, uh, uh, like in the, but when the bus rolls up and he, he comes around, uh, I was like, wait, why is there a bus? Who's the bus transporting, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. Um, but you know, it all makes for all those fun questions. Same thing for like their spinoff planes, but yeah, this movie was miles better than cars too. And I think it's, I think it's a nose to nose finish on um, if it's, you know, same caliber or better than the original film. Wow. Um, all of the same verbal tics and, you know, logic of the Cars universe is there and back. And uh, I loved all of it. And then including one joke that I thought, you know, it was almost too obvious, but it's uh, life's a beach and then you drive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't. I think I was the only one in the theater who got that, but <laughs> it was pretty funny. But yeah, you mentioned though, the the movie starts off like, you know, with a, pretty intense wreck like, and i couldn't like kids in the audience were like you know pretty upset when that went down yeah i'll say i didn't mention that uh that played like pretty emotional for me and i'm not even like that big of a cars fan i like the first cars movie i didn't see cars too mm-hmm. but when that wreck happens and it just continues to show lightning tumbling 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 you're just like wow this is yeah pretty brutal <laughs> it was like uh, george rr R. martin <laughs> <laughs> scripted that and it yeah it takes it pulls no punches and that really i thought it set the tone for the movie and uh lightning mcqueen's you know journey um and like you mentioned uh definitely the uh sidekick here or you know what you think is a sidekick um cruise you know the one the cruise that i enjoy uh who's voiced by christina alonzo uh, does a fantastic job. She's she's peppy, has all of the energy, and is given a 
you know, a super three-dimensional story for them to kind of play out. And that's where maybe, like you said, the story takes a turn. Mm -hmm. But to me, that was the awesome, you know, quote for quote B plot that I really loved about this movie. And um, without being too specific, it's like a, it's a passing of the torch, Mm -hmm. if you will. It wasn't exactly Rocky four. It was, um, I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. Uh, but I, I love, I loved that twist. And, um, you know, it goes on to talk about, you know, what does it mean? Legacy. What are you to a sport afterwards? Are you for merchandising or like, you know, what is your expertise at the end of the day? But then it's also like sexism and things like that that also get brought up and touched on, I thought, rather well. Um, so all of that said, I do have to say wasn't a huge fan of the hyper nostalgia like it's, it played off of Cars, the original, so much that it almost failed to be a new movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that was a little bit odd, I thought. But uh, all in all, though, I am going to agree with you, though. It is a great movie, but not something, you know, superb that we're going to be lauding Pixar for. Mm-hmm. Other than just, you know, um, a stake in the ground for how far they've come. So I'm going to give it three and a half ticket subs. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, one other thing I want to mention uh, that I don't think this is a spoiler necessarily, but you know, after that wreck, that brutal wreck, it pretty quickly shifts back to McQueen in Radiator Springs. He has, you know, his body has been repaired. He doesn't have his, you know, fresh coat of paint on. He has just a primer. Mm-hmm. And I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see him really like down and out a lot. Like there was the wreck. And then we next time we see him, he's all better. He's in good spirits relatively, uh, thanks to Bonnie Hunt and Sally coming in there and saying like, "Hey, mm-hmm. you know, you can still do this. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't." And then he's like, "Yeah, you know, I can. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue racing." And you're like, "Oh, I wanted a little more, maybe you know, struggle with him to say, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Maybe this is my time to hang it up.'" Instead, it was just so quickly him saying, "Yep." I'm going to continue racing where I thought maybe they would play with that, you know, whole dynamic of retirement a little more. Yeah. I mean, you, after that wreck though, like they, that they clearly committed to having uh, McQueen be in a depression for like 15 or 20 minutes. I think that would be, that'd be edging way too dark for a, a G yeah. Pixar movie, <laughs> especially after, you know, you bring kids close to tears. Um, I, I didn't say though that, yeah, like you said about Owen Wilson, what is it about Lightning McQueen? Is there mocap involved that gets their eyebrows and expressions that just feels like Owen Wilson's on screen delivering that? Uh, I don't think they do any mocap. I mean, they probably record his audio sessions, then maybe base some of the animation off it, but there's definitely no like Josh Brolin, Thanos okay. level, like. Okay, put dots on his face. We can <laughs> sure. capture every, you know, every single centimeter of his facials. Like, that, that, that doesn't happen. All right. So I was projecting a little bit then. All right. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, there's there's not really any spoiler stuff to get to unless we want to talk more in detail about, I think, the final race mm-hmm. and how it plays out and maybe, you know, what we would want to see in another Cars movie. Um but we will move into spoilers just to talk about just this movie freely, I guess. And the one question I had, and it was during the Sally McQueen uh, back and forth there right after the crash. 
she mentions like that. Oh, you know, oh this this uh, this barn you're staying in really smells bad. I like the whole, uh, you know, monster movie esque like aroma you have going around here. And I was like, a monster movie, interesting. What would a monster movie look like in this universe? Uh, a, a, mo- a monster truck. Ooh, maybe. I don't know. Like just like a monster truck or some kind of creepy old car with vampire fangs. Yeah, probably. But it's like. Yeah, I just like I I kept thinking about that. I was like, what would you know the mummy look like <laughs> in the Cars universe or something? You know, like what would Dracula look like in the in like the Cars universe where there's all this different stuff? Like um, the director uh, Brian Fee, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. He was talking to Screen Junkies News, and he said that at one point in the story they originally were going to have McQueen visit this Hollywood party, and there were going to be multiple Batmobiles they're uh, talking i was like oh that would have been really cool if like you know you get to see like adam west who like who yes. that just died like yeah. r.i.p or like you get to see, like him clooney keaton mm-hmm. affleck kilmer oh. bale like see all their different batmobiles yes. talking with their voices <laughs> like that would have been really interesting to see uh i like i like that whole concept of like i want to see that movie like what is a like an you're, actual movie like in the cars universe you suggesting they start making genre films yes i want to see i want to see basically car spoof movies where they remake like indiana jones with cars <laughs> and I, they get like I harrison ford to do the voice like i could do that it. could that could be maybe not whole movies but at least shorts uh and speaking of shorts what did you think of uh lou oh which played before yeah I, I i enjoyed it i thought it was one of the more different animated films that pixar has done yeah, and I like you know to not only humanize a bully, but just have that whole thing go down there like that it was really cool. The monster was a little wacky, like yes. that was out there, but the emotional cord and then mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is really good. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah the emotional it. stuff worked. I don't think it was one of my favorites. Like I still think the um, I don't know what it's called, but like the puppy food one with about the relationships. I still think that's one of my favorite shorts that they did. Plus uh, the volcano lava. I love a you short that was played in front of, um, I, uh, I don't remember what it was, one. but like there, there's so many good ones. Paper man, Piper, Piper was good. And whatever played in front of Moana. I dug that where it's oh, the, yeah, the, uh, the different emotions the, the, of the body. Yeah. Or the the uh, organ, the yes. organ stuff. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was very cool. That was really good too. Um, you mentioned Batman. Yes. And you mentioned Michael Keaton and something that I did tick me off a lot was, you know, Michael Keaton plays chick Hicks. Uh-huh. The, and he did not play him this time around. Oh. And anytime he was throwing out his catchphrase or, you know, lambasting Lightning McQueen, I had to like almost cover my ears because <laughs> it was, it, it felt like an impression of Michael Keaton. Do you know who, who voiced him instead? I don't know who voiced him instead. I just I didn't, didn't care, but I knew it wasn't Keaton. Right. And it bugged the heck out of me. Because otherwise he's a, he's a perfectly obnoxious and fun character and him mm-hmm. being in sports casting or car casting or yeah. whatever it is, you know, made perfect sense. And ah, I, I, as soon as I heard his voice, I knew it wasn't Keaton and it bugged me the rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the final race just briefly. I don't okay, think there's yeah. a lot to get into. Or, you know, the whole... The Basically whole, the the twist, if you will. Right. Yeah. Switch yeah. Switch of roles. So the thing, the thing that I liked, I liked the cruise subplot, but I still, you know, the trailers. I mean, they're very. They did a great job of not revealing that this is going to be the case. There was going to be this whole switcheroo where this movie is actually a cruise origin story more so than you know a closing of McQueen as a racer. Yep. 
I don't know how legal it is to have a car paint on a number and then enter in a race. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I don't love that whole idea. And especially then to have it basically double down on it. They're going to, you know, if cars four happens, it's going to be like cars one, but with lightning McQueen as doc Hudson and cruiser mirrors as lightning McQueen, Mm -hmm. because he gets like the doc Hudson paint job. And I was like, okay, I get it. It's the homage to doc Hudson, but like, I don't, I didn't need that. And I would have, I would, I wanted to see lightning's redemption story instead of the crew's origin yeah, story. And it well see this is this is where I kind of like start, felt myself leaning towards a sport I actually know and that's football. And I can't, I couldn't help but think of Brett Favre mm-hmm. throughout this entire thing and I was like, you know, this is almost like taking a different route other than Brett Favre trying to, you know, force himself back into the game when he was teetering with I mean, right. he the man was still good. He just he didn't have it. He clearly didn't have it as he did for a while. Uh, they chose to take a different route. No redemption, just, you know, moving, helping move the ball for other people, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I, I like that. I thought it was fine. You know, I mean, it's at the, at the end of the day, it's still, it's the more, it's the most kitty Pixar film that they make. Yeah. And, I thought I thought that was fine. I didn't, it didn't bug me as much. I mean, they're talking cars, so rewriting <laughs> the rules uh, for a race, um, or you know, acting like they don't exist is fine. Uh, because I just I enjoyed uh, Christine Alonso so much as Cruz that you know I was I was stoked to have to see that switch up. So uh, and you know, it, Owen Wilson will be if they do make a cars for oh, you know, back. and he's back. I'm totally fine with that. You know, the paint job was a little right. too was over the top, <laughs> but I mean, uh, we all miss Paul Newman. So yeah, uh, I just hope that no you know cares. if because of this switch, you know, if Cars Four happens, which you know if this movie makes you know seven hundred million dollars or more worldwide, it's going to happen. Oh yeah. Um, I don't want to see then Cars Four or Cars Five have some twist where okay well lightning's forced back into the action or mm-hmm. something like, i don't if, if this is the direction you're going to do it stick to it don't like double back on it you know in a movie or two and be like okay well hope cruise had a season and an injury and now we need lightning yeah. to come in and finish out the year like i don't i don't want to see that happen i would i would i, ho- I would hope they just make the decision to finally serialize tougher television shows because i mean it's it's about the merchandising mm-hmm. that that's what it is i mean yeah. you see cars lunch boxes and backpacks and mater everywhere so and now that Cruz is there they've got a fresh young character to kind of do what they did with uh leo and stitch yeah yeah you know and that was perfectly popular so i i say they go for it there and then that way they can keep the the backpacks and the, the fidget spinners and whatever else they're sticking <laughs> sticking spinners. the logos on you know keep going yeah but i thought it was a perfect closeout to a, a really good original Pixar film. So th- that's where, you know, if the Cars franchise continues, that's where you want to see it continue. Move to television, do a Netflix oh. mini- miniseries or something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the vein of like, I know they're doing like Troll Hunters with, you know, Guillermo del Toro or something. Uh, I think I, that's DreamWorks, but yes. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't I would be opposed to uh, a Cars 4 movie mm-hmm. uh, if it is Cruz Ramirez in the lead because I didn't hate her character. I just... The reason that her involvement bothered me a little bit is because that wasn't the movie I was sold on and thought I was going to get. Sure. Uh, and that's not even coming from me. I'm not even like, Cars is my favorite Pixar movie type of guy. It's like yeah, in the middle of the pack or maybe even lower. Like, 
Uh, I just wanted to see the end of, of Lightning McQueen's story mm-hmm. that to happen, but you know, if Cars Four continues, uh, I'll be I'll be okay with it. Yeah. Oh, and another note: Ernie Hammer. Yes. Is full on. Jeez, uh, whatever he the, the the brother twin brothers that he plays in Social Network. Oh yeah. Um, I can't think of their names. Winklevoss. He's full on Winklevoss <laughs> in this movie. I absolutely loved it. Uh, a complete tool with his backhand, you know, not, not insults, but, um, but you know, passive aggressive compliments. Mm-hmm. How about yeah. that? I think that's the way to say it. Uh, I did, I did enjoy all of those. Yeah. You have any other thoughts on cars three? Um, no, I think that clears it up. All right. Well, we'll, I'll be back in a bit to talk about the news. And we're back with a uh, typical startup of the trailers, and we got a first trailer for the remake of Flatliners, uh, starring Diego Luna, Ellen Page, Nina Dobrev. Uh, it's about these kids who like realize they can stop their hearts, basically like see like the afterlife almost, and then things start happening to them in the real life. Trailer looked fine; it didn't really blow me away, uh, but I like the cast, I like the premise, so. Uh, it's one I'm at least intrigued by. Yeah, I mean, this is the remake of the 1990 Joel Schumacher movie that starred Keith Sutherland and Julia Roberts, uh, Kevin Bacon, and one of the Baldwins. Not the good one, though. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was always fun. This I haven't seen Ellen Page in a movie in a while. Mm-hmm. I know she's been doing TV specials for like HBO, and uh, you know, she's been out there doing those. Um, but yeah, I think it looks super interesting. I don't know. James Norton's looks like the male lead. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen him in anything else. I don't think so. Yeah, he looks like he's doing some good acting, and I don't know about the premise, but I am interested in like what the heck is going on, like what's coming. Yeah, what's you know, coming after what's that? Coming and yeah, yeah. I mean, so. it, it could be it could be interesting. Again, yeah. I don't think either of us have high hopes for it. Um, but we also got our first trailer for Daddy's Home Two. Did you see the first Daddy's Home? I did see the first Daddy's What'd Home. What would you think? Uh, yes, I mean it, the the tag the tag team that is Wahlberg and Farrell crushed They're it. Great. Yes, absolutely. And you are stoked for this too. Uh, it, lo- it looks it looks funny. I think it looks it looks a little better than the first one, which I enjoyed. Uh, I think the inclusion of Mel Gibson, Jonathan Lithgow, oh, they both John. look perfect in their yes. roles. Uh, whether it's you know the first instance, basically you see Lithgow and him and Farrell like kiss, <laughs> and then they're like. And then Walker was like, oh, they, 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 it's just been a long time. They haven't seen each other in a long time. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, it's only been two weeks. Yes. It feels like a lifetime. <laughs> uh, or, but I think Mel Gibson really sold me when, you know, they get kind of that introduction with the grandkids mm-hmm. and Lithgow starts <laughs> telling them a joke. And then he's like, oh, I have a joke, kids. Yeah. And it's just like super like Mel yeah. Gibson-esque, like super inappropriate. Right. And like, okay, this is why you get <laughs> Mel Gibson for this. Uh, I mean, it looks like, it seems perfect that he would be Mark Wahlberg's dad mm-hmm. and that Lithgow would be yeah. uh, the dad of Will Ferrell. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, Linda Cardellini's back, which I love her. So it looks like, you know, this would be a good one. Yeah. And then especially the from the get-go of this trailer, uh, it's Wahlberg and Ferrell uh, game planning for like desserts or a bake sale yeah. and them going back and forth. And he's like, wait, no, not store-bought. Homemade. Homemade. Come and on. Like, like, all right, yeah, you got that. You got that. You know, and I, I that... They're back and forth because Mark Wahlberg looks angry 
every mm-hmm. time he says anything, no matter what it is. And Will Ferrell's always has this earnest expression. It just makes them, yeah, perfect. And then, yeah, Mel, too. Um, people still have mixed feelings about him. And uh, he does seem to be earning some goodwill back. And, you know, if he's really trying to, what better than to be in a film with Will Ferrell? The guy yeah. makes just about anybody look great. So, uh yeah, and then you know Jonathan Lithgow. I, I can't. He's he is the quintessential father figure of mm-hmm. any film, and I'm so glad he's there. Yep. Uh, moving away from trailers, we got uh, some casting info on Mission Impossible Six, one that Josh will not really care about, uh, but director Christopher McQuarrie shared a picture on Instagram this week that revealed and confirmed Michelle Monaghan's return to the Mission Impossible franchise. She previously made appearances in Mission Impossible Three and. Four, which was subtitled Ghost Protocol. Uh, as somebody who is a, a fan of this franchise, uh, I'm very happy to see Michelle Monaghan back because not only is she a great actress, but she has a very cool role in this franchise and uh, has a very fun role to play, especially in three, where she gets you know, this really standout action sequence, which uh, still, there's not a lot of moments in Mission Impossible 3 that stand up my mind. Um, but there's always, you know, in each movie, there's kind of like Fast and Furious. There's that one action sequence that, you know, will stick with you forever. And in Mission Impossible 3, it's the one with Michelle Monaghan. So I'm very much looking forward to her being back. Has Christopher McQuarrie been directing and writing Mission Impossible movies for a while? How many he, has he, done? he only He only did five. He's actually the first director to make multiple. Because normally... Uh, they do, you know, it's one and done with that franchise. So for him to be back directing six a big, is a big deal. Um, so hopefully it'll, it'll work out. Well, hopefully he does. Man, he's got a writer credit on the Mummy movie, and I think that's he does he does that for basically any Tom Cruise project. Sure, he'll beef up either Tom Cruise's role or just his dialogue or something. So I don't b- put any of the blame that happened with the Mummy on Christopher McQuarrie. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, he wrote. I mean, he did Unusual Suspects. So he's got a lot of good credit with me. Um, and maybe this is why I should check out Ghost Nation, Ghost, Ghost, Ghost Protocol, Ghost Protocol, and yes. Rogue Nation, and then this upcoming. And this is the sixth movie. Yeah. So you got you got to see one, two, three, and then they start subtitling them after that. All right. All right. So they're they're good. They're, I'll start. They're fun. What if I start with Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol? I mean, I think I think you can. Um, it won't be as once Michelle Monaghan appears in the fourth movie, it won't be as cool to you if you haven't seen the previous movie. Okay. And I think it's not just Michelle Monaghan, but you know, in four and five, and it looks like in six, they continue to bring back characters who have appeared before. So to have you know those characters who had beefy roles in one, two, and three pop up in smaller ones, and you know four or five or even six. It make it makes it that much more enjoyable. All so, right. I think it's a franchise you got to start with from the top, but uh, I'm not saying that one and two are you know amazing movies that you'll go down as classics or something. Okay, fair enough. So uh, moving on to some superhero news, we got uh, Justice League is currently undergoing reshoots. No surprise there. Every big budget budget movie goes uh, re- does reshoots nowadays. But the latest set photos uh, from the set in England appear to hint at some flashbacks to World War One, which if you just saw Wonder Woman a couple weeks ago or if you've seen it multiple times recently, uh, you know that, that movie takes place majorly uh, in World War One. So 
do you think that most of these reshoots are going to be attributed to beefing up Wonder Woman's role following the reaction to Wonder Woman? You know, th- it would make sense to give your po- most popular character right now um, all of the runway possible. But my question is, what do they have to do with Justice League? I have no and idea. How many flashbacks are we going to have to endure? And not saying it's a problem because mm-hmm. anything with uh, Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman is going to be great. But... Uh, but what is Whedon thinking here um, in terms of, or the studios or whatever, like, is there a, is there a cord to follow with the mother boxes? And when, are we going to see Wonder Woman deal with that, you know, in a future movie? Do they already have something mm-hmm. going or are they just looking to like cannibalize, right. uh, you know, and I, that's what I'm, I'm afraid of is they'll just sort of start dipping their uh, fingers into potential stories and things that Patty Jenkins may, you know, have the burden of mm-hmm. having to work around. Yeah. But uh, I'm all for it, just as long as, you know, it serves the story. And what, can you think of anything, Cooper? I, I really can't. I don't know what exactly they would need to go back to World War One to tell any part of Diana's story further, because I feel like they did that pretty a pretty great job of that in Wonder Woman. But if they are going to give me more Wonder Woman, I'm not going to complain, because no, I, I love her so much in her solo movie, plus she was good in BVS as well. So if these reshoots are to beef up her role, I mean, I know like Jason Momoa and uh, Ray Fisher are on set there as well. I don't know if it's for that flashback scene as well or whatever, but... I think the more Gal Gadot you put in this movie, the better. Uh, for me, plus you get to market her more, which coming off Wonder Woman seems like a smart move to do. Mm-hmm. So I totally get it if they're doing it, but I don't really have a reason why they should do it. <laughs> but moving on to Guardians of the Galaxy 3, James Gunn put a subtle tease on Twitter this week, uh, revealing a possible new addition to the cast for the third movie, the photo was of an old VCR player, but it was the uh, brand name that really caught people's attention with that being Kazar, uh, codename of one of Marvel's most powerful cosmic characters, uh, whose real name is Wendell Vaughn. Ooh, what does he do? Uh, he has the ability to like control uh, just like any uh, matter, basically, and the channel it. He has, um, he has these gauntlets, kind of like Wonder Woman's a uh, little bit, um, where he can get those and manipulate matter and uh, uh, he can fly. He has super strength. Uh, he's just really, really powerful and really cool. And Got I think it. it's a good uh, counter opponent basically to uh, Adam Warlock. And is he like some kind of cosmic being or no, he's, what is he? He's a, he's a human. Oh, snap. So he's okay. a human who gets kind of caught up in all this stuff. And I think following the Guardians assumingly heading to earth in infinity war or the fourth avengers movie at some point then picking up wendell vaughn or in in some capacity and bringing him on their next adventure i think makes Mm. a lot of sense huh interesting plus it would give them a potential new lead if you know chris pratt was done or whatever or they wanted to give him a spin-off movie I think Kazar opens up the doors to a lot of interesting possibilities. Do you need, are you how familiar are you with this guy? Not not super familiar. Um, is he witty? Like, does he have a personality? Is there a, somebody you could fan cast in him? I, I cannot. I cannot okay, fan cast. Fair him. enough. Um, I yeah, because I don't really. I know he has his origins tied up with Shields. He's like he was a former Shield agent who's uh, that's how he was guarding the bands, and then people come to attack it and steal the bands, and he has to put them on to protect them and that's how he gets his powers and then you know that's just how it works so sure yes i don't know really 
you know his personality that well, so I can't really fan cast him. But you know, Army Hammer's name that continues to get thrown oh, around. Yeah, he's definitely. in the uh, Disney family with, with Cars three, so you never know. Uh, we throw I, I have Army no Hammer's idea. name out there for everything, right? I now, mean, yeah, <laughs> and, and he did. He did confirm that he has not been contacted by DC about That's any right. roles. Mm-hmm. So, if he, if you think he's going to be Batman, Nightwing, uh, Hal Jordan, or Shazam, at least right now, he has not been contacted about any of it. I so. actually loved hearing that because that means that uh, Idris Elba's stock on <laughs> appearing as John Stewart, you know, well, the odds went up. It, that's I mean, all it, I'm saying. Green Lantern Corps is still going to be Hal and John. Yes. So I, whether or not Army Hammer's cast is Hal, I don't think makes it any lesser, more likely that Idris Elba's cast. Fair I think enough. The big thing there is... You can only afford one, though. That's all I'm saying. Right. But I mean, yeah. I think it would be more... I'd say Idris Elba has a lesser chance if like, they signed like, Tom Cruise or brought back <laughs> Ryan Reynolds or somebody. Yes. I don't think Army Hammer quite yet has that star power he can command top dollar. For sure. So. Okay. But getting back to this real quick. Yes. It sounds like an epic character that Gunn's going to have some fun with. Because, I mean, everybody that he's introduced into this world has been their own kind of person with a unique personality. And having a guy named after a 1990s VCR deck, uh, <laughs> sure thing, let's do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that retro thing, too, that fits perfectly mm-hmm. with, you know, uh, whatever um, Peter Quill is, you know, has been familiar with. Right. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that's where he'll get his he'll, name from he'll get that uh, necessarily. Okay. But, yeah, I think that was just his, his gun's very clever way of, like, hinting, like, mm-hmm. Because like his tweet is just like, oh, you know, I just I was just randomly thinking today about my old family VCR. Here's yeah. a picture of it. You're like, that's a random tweet. Oh, did we talk about him doing mocap for Baby Groot? Have you seen that video yeah, of yeah, him I've dancing? Seen it. It's yeah, great. That's great too. He, I mean, he did he did the mocap for the dance at the end mm-hmm. of the first Guardians, yeah. and then yeah, uh, he was you know the stand-in basically for the Guardians two intro, yes. which is great. And you know, because Guns kind of said that this is going to be the beginning of or that. His role in the MCU is going to be further pushing the Marvel Cosmic Universe. Mm-hmm. I further think it makes a lot of sense to bring Kazar in because he can be that a force. He can be at the forefront of the Guardians team. He could be a standalone character. Uh, he could be an Avenger. He can do pretty much whatever they really want him to do. And I mean, as they continue to push more and more cosmic, he's a character you have to introduce at some point. So. Makes a lot of sense for Volume Three to be that uh, that place. Heck yeah! So, uh, sticking with the MCU, Kevin Feige told Alocine that uh, R-rated movies are quote not out of the question uh, mm. as they move forward. So, he did confirm that they are not currently developing any R-rated movies. So it's not like oh, we saw Logan and Deadpool make a ton of money. Let's you know let's instantly put you know an R-rating uh, goal on Guardians Three or something, but. Is is that something you want to see in R-rated MCU movie? Uh, uh, what for? Yeah, you know, like listen, we, those Netflix series are practically, you know, they are I mean, R-rated. Yeah, they are R-rated. They're I think they're PG fourteen or uh, whatever the case is. Yeah, I think I think they're TVMA or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, you have a your movies walk right up to the R line at, at PG thirteen. I mean, they they go as far as possible without being mm-hmm. distasteful and you know it i think kevin I mean definitely says a business option sure yeah nothing's out of the question yeah. but i mean creatively uh putting out an r-rated movie it's almost old brand tarnishing when it's not when it's in the same platform at when it's in the same platform as the rest of your 
uh, highly colorized action movies. You know, I mean, or am I just being a little bit too prude here about no, this? No, no, I get it. I, I don't want them just to make an R-rated movie just because they see success at Fox or if Venom is a big hit and it's R-rated as well. I don't want to see Marvel Studios say, okay, well, we have to make an R-rated movie because if everybody else is doing it and DC like, Greenlight's a R-rated Lobo movie or something, mm-hmm. like we need to capitalize on this while it's hot. I don't, I don't want that to happen. But, you know, if they announce tomorrow that a... Black Widow movie is coming out in 2021 starring Scarlett Johansson directed by Chad Stileski mm. and it's R-rated. I would be completely sold. Like if he basically took Atomic Blonde uh, and made it a Black Widow movie starring Scarlett Johansson, like there's no way I would not be excited for that. Can I? Do I think Black Widow can be done for a PG-13 movie? Absolutely. But if you really want to like explore her as you know just a spy and show the underground of this world like i think she could work as an already character but again it's not necessary so i don't really i can't think of any character on marvel's current lineup or immediate future lineup that says okay this person has to be Mm r-rated where like you know logan or deadpool or deadpool 2 or x-force like those you need R ratings for for the violence, for just the character perspective, uh, and their their personalities. I don't think Marvel has that person unless they're planning to introduce Blade or something, which yeah. I don't see happening. Oh yeah, I would be so stoked to see Wesley back. <laughs> it has to be Wesley, by oh, the way. I don't it think has that's happening. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, and I, I mean, you know, that, that's what you kind of said is. I mean, you have every reason not to say no, no way. But what's the reason to say yes? And I yeah. just, I don't see it there for him yet. Um, so that's where I stand. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. And uh, staying with Alocine and their interviews, they also spoke to Tom Holland this week and asked uh, him about you know the future of Spider-Man and his overarching arc in this universe. And he uh, confirmed that... They are planning a trilogy of Spider-Man movies. This is not something that is shocking, considering you know they've previously talked about a Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, but then you know Amy Pascal a couple months ago was like, "Oh, well, Homecoming Two is the end of our current deal." Kevin Feige has confirmed that as well. Uh, Holland has confirmed that he has a six-picture deal with three standalones, three other appearances, and you know if Homecoming Two is the end of that deal. That'll be five appearances for Holland as Spider-Man with two standalones plus Civil War and two Avengers movies. So he would still have that sixth movie and that third solo movie to do. And if that is sent to MCU, that signals that Marvel and Sony are already anticipating extending that deal, uh, which I think would be a a very smart move. Uh, Do you anticipate this happening a trilogy in the mcu and disney and sony continue to extend this partnership oh yeah absolutely uh, i mean you're talking about what tom holland says here is like he really plays up you know what they're focusing on in the movie and he says yeah we're very much looking to get peter parker uh and his kind of his obstacles all flushed out in this one and the next one and then evolve you know in a future movie mm-hmm. you know or grow him up if you will and yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, and he, he's already, I mean, I don't know what the movie's tracking at. Yeah, the, those numbers are probably going to pop up I think it, really the, the soon. The latest tracking was between 90 and 108, which is a broad spectrum. It's still three weeks out. Mm-hmm. So I, 
personally, I think it's going to go up higher, like the 120s area. Yeah. But I mean, assuming it gets good reviews, that yeah. is. And, you know, if, even if it gets mild reviews, it'll probably finish with somewhere near 600 million. People love Spider-Man. Oh, you're talking worldwide? Oh, yeah, like at the oh, end of the day. Yeah, I think it'll it'll go a little higher than that for yeah. sure yeah so i you'd be you'd be sony would be nuts not to and they've made every indication they're looking on capitalizing on spider-man whether it's venom whether it's black cat silver sable and e3 this week did you see the gameplay trailer for the new spider-man see it but i've heard nothing Video game? but great things yeah. about it did you it. play the spider-man 2 back oh, yeah. in the day that was oh, that, epic. That, was a, that was a great game and this looks like you know it was the original batman arkham game yes. you know and that's what this looks like and it looks fantastic i uh, mean yeah i mean they're they're setting up to run movies for the next 15 years don't you think oh yeah i mean i don't again i mean assuming spider-man homecoming comes out and it gets a 80 percent or hot and rotten tomatoes it makes you know 750 or to a billion dollars worldwide there's no way that this deal is not going to extend past assuming you know I mean, again, this could all ha- factor into what Sony's plans are with that spiderless universe. You know, if they're thinking, okay, well, Homecoming 2 is the end of that deal. By the time that movie comes out, we'll have Venom and Silver, Silver and Blackout. We could have that third movie separate of the MCU. We could just take Tom Holland for ourselves and make it by ourselves. I could see them doing that because Sony is, I don't want to say selfish, but they're very interested in getting a universe of their own Mm -hmm. even though that's exactly what they're getting with this because the way this current deal is set up at least initially was sony foots the bill they get all the profits and marvel's just there as basically a consultant and saying all right here's where this movie needs to go so it can fit into our continuity they have say in casting as well and you know directors and story beats but at the end of the day, it's still Sony's decision. It's Sony's movie. So if you're Sony and you're getting all this free help, I don't see why you would give that up. Yeah, Especially absolutely. if everything continues to work. Uh, especially, too, because, I mean, Amazing Spider-Man 2 suffered because it fell out of step with tone and, like you said, the beat of what Mark Webb set up in the first one, but also how Marvel Comics kind of flow as a whole. Mm-hmm. And if you have the people, you know, basically, you know, knighted by Stan Lee, doling out stories and continuity and kind of, you know, giving you directions, why would you say no thank you right. and hand the scripts off to people who I'm sure love and appreciate um, the character and where he needs to go and what mm-hmm. he needs to do. But, you know, there's an entire room that has put out uh films and scripts that have you know done justice in almost every film why would you give that up why would you shoo the fan base that you were able to bring in Mm -hmm. um and basically tie together and i mean ultimately i think it would be awesome to see everything kind of facilitated out of there uh with some exceptions because i don't think we would have gotten logan no if it'd been even maybe not deadpool like yeah We've had that discussion about whether X-Men should be in the MCU or not. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with them being separate for now. If they, you know, in five years, ten years, want to do this epic crossover, I can live. I can. I would be okay with a one movie crossover with they combine you know universes and some earth-shattering events, and then never really mention it again. Yeah, but right. yeah, I mean, good. I mean, hopefully, Sony mm. continues things uh, 
with Marvel, um, even with this third Spider-Man movie. Yep. So moving on to the next time we will see Spider-Man following Homecoming uh, will be Avengers Infinity War. And we have some uh, Black Panther updates in Avengers Infinity War with Deadline revealing that sources have told them that Denai Guerrero will be featured in Avengers Infinity War. The strange thing about it was while they confirmed that she will be in the movie, they could not confirm that she'll be continuing to play the same character in Black Panther of Okoy, and they merely, quote, speculated that it would be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is very weird phrasing, but by all instances and accounts, she will be playing Okoy again. It'll be her second appearance uh, in the MCU as that character. And this comes right after reports of Letitia Wright's stunt double reporting to set, uh, as well as Winston Duke um, being involved as well, who both of them are in Black Panther as Shuri and M'Baku. So it seems like Wakanda going to have a pretty big presence. Yeah, it, the, the, the statement and everything almost read like a, uh, oh, shoot, we weren't supposed to say that. We kind right. of just spoiled Black Panther. Uh, okay, but she's there. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just well, kind of threw their hands up. maybe she's a different character. It's like, no, yeah. she's not. It a, yeah, it read almost like a, like a wink nod joke. Um, to whoever was transcribing, but yeah, uh, absolutely. She's she's phenomenal. She looks phenomenal in the movie, the, the trailer that we talked about last week, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely down for it. Yeah, she's gonna like, kick some serious butt. I mean, I think both of us are fans of Walking Dead. Yes. So I mean, she is great as Michonne. I saw um, All Eyes on Me, the Tupac biopic, uh, last n- or two nights ago. She's now she is very good. In she's it. She, yeah, she's Tupac's mother in that, and she's she, I think she was the best part of the movie yeah. so uh i am i'm psyched to see more of her yeah. move forward even if it means oh well now i know going into black panther that she's not gonna die right i didn't really anticipate that anyways mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it doesn't yep. really change anything for me either way so moving away from the mcu and to the x-men universe we have some official details finally about x-men dark phoenix with Deadline confirming that Simon Kinberg will be making his directorial debut for the movie, along with closing his deal to direct, Fox is also said to be in the final stages of bringing back James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, and Nicholas Holt, alongside uh, the already confirmed returning cast from Apocalypse Youngsters, that being Sophie Turner, Cody Smith-McPhee, Ty Sheridan, and Alexandra Shipp. Whew, that is a mouthful of actors and actresses to... Uh, take on Dark Phoenix. Uh, okay. Well, you can't have the X-Men without all those people. Um, uh, I wouldn't agree with that. But, you know, it's, it makes total sense, and I'm sure everyone's going to be well rewarded with pay. Yes. Um, I, I just have, I'm having trouble even being, you know, somewhat enthused or uh, just showing any kind of, you know, anticipation for this. Mm-hmm. Because Apocalypse just was that bad right and i mean like if you go back to like the lead up to apocalypse where it was us talking about the trailers or our preview episode like i had really no excitement for apocalypse and i couldn't place it why it was the case my low expectations and low excitement was you know basically uh met because of, mm-hmm. po- of apocalypse not good or not good it really was uh and yeah, I'm kind of in that same stage with Dark Phoenix where that's a great cast, but I don't think Fastbender or Lawrence should be there cuz I don't I don't want to see Magneto be the bad guy yeah. good they're the bad guy, good guy/bad slash bad guy again. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see Jennifer Lawrence be the 
leader of the X-Men, basically, because that's not who Mystique is. Uh, as my, I'm a huge J-Law fan. She's one of my favorite actresses, if not the favorite actress uh, working right now. But it just doesn't seem like she's very interested in this franchise. Plus, Simon Kinberg, great writer. Uh, he's never directed anything before. So the mm-hmm. fact that he's just being gifted this $200 million production yeah. uh, where they're going to go to space and do all this stuff makes me a little worried about it. Yeah, okay. Well, I will I will be devil's advocate on J-Law, though. Okay. She's, she's getting... I would not be shocked to learn someday that she made out fifty million dollars on this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's gonna, yeah. And she's making bank. I'm sure she will. She'll be. She's. She has a much bigger incentive to bring it this time around. So I will. I will say that. Yeah, but, I will hope that you know because she is probably she's going to get paid a lot more for this movie than she did the first three. I'm sure. Plus, because there's been a lot of push against her performances recently in the X Men universe, not just in general. Um, I hope that she's heard those criticisms and it's like, okay, I'm going, I'm going to give it my all this time and really give a great mystique performance, regardless of how big or small that role is. And I'm thinking it's going to be a big role too. Big payday, big role. Mystique is reinvented for Mm -hmm. this franchise. But the thing that ticked me off the most is where's Evan Peter? Yeah. Why is he not on this list? The, The thing that I could have, the thing I lauded apocalypse for was just his, his 20 minutes of screen time uh, and he's nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. I'm good not happy with that. I mean, you know, I'm not happy, I mean, but it's, it's, I'm like, what? Come on guys. Yeah. I mean, I guess if this movie is going to take place primarily in space, a uh, speed guy, is not going to really lend himself <laughs> yeah. to much help out there. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's always still that possibility that he could be announced later on and get his own announcement, which would be kind of strange, but uh, he is such a fan favorite at this point where, uh, I do want to see, you know, another scene stealing, uh, you know, just scene from Quicksilver. I mean, I think it's deserved. I think it's earned. Uh, try to top the one he did in uh, Days of Future Past. So the other bits of news we had with this was not just the, all the returning cast, but we also have a new cast member. Uh, if you listen to the podcast last week, you heard us discuss Chasta- Jessica Chastain and her name being in consideration for a unknown villain that we speculated would be Lalandra. Well, that's exactly what happened, actually. Oh, <laughs> so, hey. Deadline confirmed that Jessica Chastain has joined the cast. She will, she will be playing the Shi'ar Empress Lalandra. Are you happy with it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I I'm a fan of Jessica Chastain. Like anything that she's been in. Um, most notably, though, Zero Dark Thirty is oh, something yeah. that uh, one of her more kick butt roles. I've ever, and I cannot wait for Sorkin's um, Molly, oh, yeah. Molly's game with her Does later this, this year. year. Supposedly, mm. uh, but no marketing they, yet. They, they film it all, do you know? It's it's done, it's okay. wrapped. He showed off footage in a trailer, but it's going to have a January release date here because he wants Oscar bugs. Gotcha. That, okay. That's Sorkin. I just right haven't heard anything about it. So I just, yeah, he's, okay. he's pretty upset after Steve Jobs, so he, <laughs> he wants to get this right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm totally down for this. Um, I, I saw some people out there saying, oh no, she's going to get caught up in a bad X-Men movie. No, a, a bad X-Men movie is going to be built around a great Jessica Chastain performance. <laughs> right. that's, that's how it works. Okay. But what do you, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, I just hope she's treated better than Oscar Isaac is. I don't want to see her in some ridiculous makeup prosthesis stuff where I can't recognize Chastain. I want to see Jessica Chastain. I want to know it's her. I want her <laughs> to give a great performance because she always does. 
Um, her being the villain of Alandra, I think is very cool, uh, even though it does now make it less likely that she joins the DCEU as Poison Ivy or Cheetah, which I thought would have been two roles that she would have killed it as well. But if this is the superhero role she's going to take on, I'm okay with it. Uh, I'm just hoping, yeah, she gets a substantial role to play mm-hmm. and is not, you know, contrived to bring Magneto into the fold yeah. at some point and then Magneto actually be the the big bad and then she's pushed aside and I want her to be the big bad, give her all the screen time she needs and just let Jessica Chastain do her thing. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the case because I think it was at Kane's that she was on the panel of judges. Uh, yeah. And she she wasn't pretty she wasn't really stoked at what she'd saw like in yeah. terms of like female characters. So if she's jumping on board, I got That's to imagine true. they've got a That's really true. great role and a really great villain. Because I mean that was the big deal with Oscar Isaac. People yep. were stoked about him, and he turned out to have nothing to do. Yeah. Other than wave his arms around and say ominous things. So I think this will be I think this will be different. Yeah. I mean if she can, if she can do that and she can influence them in any way, maybe they approach her and she's like, listen, I'll do it. But we have to we have to change up your vision a little bit yeah. and make her an actual character and not R- just right. oh an I'm object. evil yeah. type of person. Yep. So uh, hopefully it all works out for the best. Hopefully we get excited for Dark Phoenix moving forward. Um, we do have next week Transformers: The Last Night will be out in theaters. That's what we'll be reviewing. We'll get to in a little bit. But the star of the movie, Mark Wahlberg, said on the Graham Norton show last night that uh, the Transformers last night will be his final appearance as Cade Yeager in this franchise. So are you sad to see Wahlberg go? And where do you want them to go from here? Well, okay. I haven't seen a Transformers movie yet. Oh. And I haven't seen... Are you going to watch them before next week? Probably not. Probably not. (laughs) I may get to five before this. You mean four before? Four, yes, Yes. because this is five. And I love Mark Wahlberg. I think he's great in just about everything he does with maybe a couple exceptions yeah. um four brothers that can be thrown out the window uh yeah, pain and gain yeah yeah not, not fun but yeah i like him and he's kind of one of the reasons i'm going other than um of course the old guy whose name anthony just hopkins. Me, anthony sir anthony <laughs> hopkins uh he's he, those are the two reasons i'm there and i will be disappointed that if i like this movie he won't be around for whatever Michael Bay's, you know, laid out for everybody else next. Yeah, well, I mean, Michael Bay is not going to be back for six, so he says he could always change his mind again. Uh, so it will be a little weird not to have Bay there, but also now to know that Mark Wahlberg will not be there as well. I mean, uh, I like Shia LaBeouf and his uh, Sam Witwicky character from the first three movies. Uh, I, I like Wahlberg as well in his role, not as much, but I'm a big fan of Wahlberg, so I always have a soft spot for him. But I I hope this either signals I hope this signals some sort of change for the franchise moving forward. You know, I don't know how five ends or anything, but I hope that this either means that they're getting rid of Wahlberg because whether they kill him off or he just, you know, walks off into the sunset or whatever at the end of the movie, I hope it signals either them showing okay, we're just going to focus on just the Transformers. We're going to go off planet, go off Earth. We're going to tell the the origin of Cybertron or they're going to start to rebuild Cybertron. They're just going to do their own thing in space. And then it's just a Transformers movie. No human characters. Mm. That could be a cool way to do it. Or the other way that I think is probably the way they're going to go, um, just based off the marketing, 
I wouldn't be surprised if Isabella Moner yeah. is the mm-hmm. new franchise lead in six and seven, and it would follow you know suit with kind of this female movement for them uh, by giving Haley Steinfeld the lead in Bumblebee. I think it would make a lot of sense to bring in that female audience even more, especially on the you know on the heels of Wonder Woman, um, you know on the heels of the Hunger Games movies, on the heels of Rey leading the Star Wars franchise. Like it, it that's a movement that a lot of people still want to see more of. Because, you know, just because we have one or two or three examples, that's not enough. There needs to be more. And I think it would be a very smart move for Transformers to do that uh, and give, you know, Isabel Moner her own basically franchise to, to, to lead moving forward. Yeah, I mean, like we, the, the, the marketing has not been not, not been subtle, but she has been prominent mm-hmm. throughout all of it. She had her own trailer. There's a there's a ragtag team of, you know, um, Stranger Things kids yeah. that are running around with her, too. And so, you know... The Transformers movies may take a tone shift from being more adult-oriented to be lesser side of PG-13 superhero movie type of a deal, you know? And what better way to showcase robots, you know, transforming into things than having it all seen through the eyes of, you know, a group of kids. Right. And that's why I think I liked that second trailer so much is because it just had a Goonies feel to Uh it. And um, Isabella Moner is looking kick butt. And yeah, I if she ends up being the lead as Mark, Mark and, you know, uh, what's the other guy that sh- shows up too? He leads the, the that special military unit. He's been there for two or three oh, movies um, now. Can't think of his uh, name. He reminds me of Ryan Josh, Seacrest. Josh something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not a franchise leader because his biggest role is in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's definitely not you know, going to be the future. You know, unless yeah. they go super military route or something. Right, that which maybe, I don't think is the case. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm all about that. So hopefully, if if that's the case, I would be so on board for Transformer movies going forward. Yeah, cool. So this is where we normally get to the flyby, but we've made a change because while we like the flyby, it's a lot of just small stories that either don't really pay off down the road that we don't talk about ever again or that probably you guys aren't really that interested in. So we're changing up our formula and our format moving forward saying goodbye to the flyby and introducing our new section called the big question where whether it's related to the news or just some random topic we want to discuss it's just kind of a question we're going to throw out there uh and give our thoughts on give a brief discussion to end the show and then you guys can chime in online as well um in the comments on twitter on facebook whatever just let us know what you think about it as well but the big question our first one ever and the one this week is uh, related to Book of Henry and Colin Trevorrow because the Book of Henry has gotten some pretty terrible reviews so far, which is Colin Trevorrow's latest movie. Uh, if you know that name, it's because he directed Jurassic World and is signed on to direct Star Wars Episode Nine. So the big question this week is, do the Book of Henry reviews make you less confident in Trevorrow directing Episode Nine? Um, Yeah, because I thought it looked good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people have been panning it left and right. And uh, I don't, I've seen two Trevorrow movies, both that I've, I've really liked Um, safety, not guaranteed and Jurassic world. And you've had some reserves about Jurassic world. You didn't think it was that great. I I like it. I I, I didn't like it as much as you did. Okay. Fair enough. And you know, I, it's, it is disconcerting a little bit because um, what 
what you Ryan Johnson, I had nothing but good things to say, and no everybody had nothing but good mm-hmm. things to say about him going into Star Wars. Fair enough. Um, but this is being panned like left and right, and it's an indie movie, something that he has a lot of control over, and it makes you wonder, okay, what happened here, and why should we trust him going forward? Right. Like, you know, his, his ability to uh, do logistics on a movie are definitely in question, especially because you want... If Ryan Johnson's going to take the character stories in Star Wars to the next level, you want that to be, you know, have some continuity. And it doesn't sound like Book of Henry has any focus, like, whatsoever. Um, a couple reviews, I think Variety calls it a mishmash of five different genre films. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's like, oh, boy, okay. But what what do you think, man? I, I, uh, I th- Yeah, I mean, it was... I mean, when I first saw the reviews for Book of Henry, my first thought was not, oh, snap, I'm worried about Star Wars Episode Nine now. But the more think pieces that came out about it, the more I started to think about it. And uh, it, it just goes back to that whole thing of like, what have you done for me lately? That's always something that is very prominent in Hollywood, um, whether it's, you know, Ridley Scott, you know, whether for like Prometheus and uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings, people are like, Ridley Scott can't do anything good. Get him away from me. Mm-hmm. Then he did The Martian. And now all anybody wants is more Ridley Scott movies. And you know that gave Alien Covenant some really positive reviews uh, and get people excited for what he's going to do next. Whereas the reverse of like staying with the Alien franchise, Neil Blomkamp, District 9, everybody was excited for us, Neil Blomkamp's career. Then he did Elysium and Chappie. And people were like, nope, I don't want to see Alien 5 directed by Neil Blomkamp. And... I, I think it, it does lessen my excitement a little bit and at least at least my, my faith in Trevorrow as a director because I've not seen Safety Not Guaranteed. I've not seen Book of Henry. So his indie stuff, I have no idea what what they're in for, but from what it sounds like, they're almost two completely different movies in the execution. One is a great, a great movie. The other one is a terrible movie. And Jurassic World, I think, falls right in between there of a good movie that very much replicates a lot of the stuff that happened in Jurassic Park and it's him kind of following that formula. So the thing that would maybe worry me the most is not, okay, does this mean he's not a good director? Does this mean, you know, he should be kicked off episode nine, which mm-hmm. is not going to happen because it's too late in the game and they're not going to push back episode nine. At least I want—I don't think they would, uh, even though they could still push it back to the December release of 2019 yeah. uh if trevor left now they hired a new director and did all that stuff there there would be time to do that but i think the thing that is more concerning is that you know if trevor can't hit his indie stuff on a consistent basis then will he i, I just don't want him to approach episode nine the same way he approached Jurassic world and he's going to say okay well i'm going to do a reimagining of uh, Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. but with these characters and building off of the themes laid by Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams. Yeah. So. And, you know, like, the thing is, too, when I th- I'm thinking, Jurassic World did what? 500 million? Opening weekend worldwide. Opening weekend yeah. worldwide. That was a record, I think, mm-hmm. before Star Wars came rolling yeah. around the curve. And it was almost like you, the, you could, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to connect the dot the dots between 
largest domestic opening, and then start, and then you know, star Lucasfilm immediately snatching up the guy who rivaled their movie that year. Yeah, and uh, it's just the, the I haven't seen Book of Henry yet, so I want to be careful um, what I say, but. Say, the one thing I can say about safety not guaranteed that I do remember is it was more of like a road trip rom-com than it was anything like, you know, insightful okay. and human, but it tried to be that. Mm-hmm. So if maybe we're panicking a little bit and he's going to have a writer's room and two producers now. And I mean, he's, he's going to have J.J. Abrams and um, Ryan Johnson leaning in on his script as well as the whole team behind Lucasfilm to sort of direct the steps. And if he's the man behind the camera making sure everything follows through what they have all schemed together, I, I don't think you should freak out about Star Wars. But it is interesting, though, that maybe he may not be as great as at least I was anticipating. Or, you right. know, I was I, that I'd built up in my head. Um, because if this turns out to be as terrible as people are, are reviewing it mm-hmm. to be, um, yeah, I definitely think I've overestimated them. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot the, of ways, the different thing is, you know, we're comparing in a straight up indie movie to one of the biggest blockbusters that will be made in the next couple of years. I mean, I don't know the budget for book of Henry, but it had to be, you know, $10 million or less probably, yeah. uh, star Wars episode nine is going to have a budget of $200 million. That is not to say that, okay, well, if he's being given, you know, 20 times the amount of money, he's going to make a movie that's 20 times as bad. That's not how it's going to work because episode nine, like you said, he's going to have the support of a writer's room. He's going to have the support of Kathleen Kennedy. He's going to have the support of Ryan Johnson, uh, J.J. Abrams, uh, Pablo Hidalgo. Everybody at Lucasfilm is going to be helping and ensuring that episode nine is going to be the best movie it can be, mm-hmm. even if that requires him pulling a Rogue One. And reshooting, you know, forty percent of it, you know, next summer. Like, right. they will make sure this movie is good to great. I think the thing that maybe these reviews indicate more than anything is that, whereas I think J.J. Abrams was brought in to do a very specific style movie, he was brought in to do what he did with Star Trek, reinvigorate the franchise, kick it off in a new direction. Uh, Ryan Johnson has been brought in to do the I think what is going to be a very character driven piece mm-hmm. and I think they probably saw Jurassic World and they saw you know uh, safety not guaranteed and maybe they saw an early cut of Book of Henry and they said okay this guy is good at maybe it's just following a formula that's where he really exceeds and I wonder if that's going to be their approach more with Conchavaro is that he won't put his take on it because I think for a lot of a lot of big budget movies, and I had this conversation with Colton the other night about Spider Man Homecoming, where mm-hmm. it doesn't there's nothing in the trailers for Spider Man Homecoming that signal to me, oh, this is John Watts. This is his vision. Uh, where I could I where Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok I can say, okay, those are definitely Ryan Coogler and Taika Waititi movies. I won't be surprised if episode nine the first trailer comes out or the movie comes out and it's okay, that was a good Star Wars movie but I can't tell you where Colin Trevorrow's imprint came on it. Yeah. Whereas I believe once episode eight comes out, 
and watch episode seven multiple times, you can you can see okay, this is where this is why they brought in J.J. Abrams for this movie. This is why they brought in Ryan Johnson for this movie. And if episode nine comes out, I won't be surprised if I'm saying okay, I can't see why Kachvar was the perfect choice, but he was an adequate one at that. Yeah, and I think you you said Ridley Scott earlier, and I think that's almost a really good example. Uh, like you because. I don't know if, if I would have been seen if I would have seen safety not guaranteed in a uh, in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have been able to, you know, see Jurassic World and say, "Oh, that's the same guy as um, safety not guaranteed." Yeah. Like you know, I, but you 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 can look at the Alien movies and watch Alien and say Ridley Scott, watch Blade Runner, say Ridley Scott, and then go to Alien and say definitely not Ridley Scott. I mean, so you know. It, he may not be able to bring something incredibly new, but he may be there to direct. He's someone that at least can direct the steps of a studio visioned movie. And I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen Book of Henry yet. And maybe there's some elements that he's trying and experimenting with that just doesn't quite get it right. Uh, it sounds like he, the movie would have been a better Netflix series mm-hmm. um, than it would have been, you know, a movie. So. I will reserve judgment, but it is it is an interesting thing to think about, though, uh, in the grand scheme of things. How far ahead should you be throwing out, you know, movies to directors and how, like, mm-hmm. Kathleen Kennedy is a genius. Yeah. The, the team at Lucas uh, has been around since, you know, the great 80s, then have overseen every, you know, nostalgic movie that you can think of, um, from Jurassic Park to E.T. to uh, uh, Jaws. So... What, um, what they see in Colin, I guess, is probably just not evident in Book of Henry, mm-hmm. and at least that's what I hope. But yeah, it it's definitely made, definitely made me think. Uh, my teeth were gritted <laughs> at thinking. Right. Uh, oh boy, could this you know, could this be headed for something you know like where, as soon as we heard about reshoots with Gareth Edwards, did we immediately think? Oh no! The worst of Godzilla, right. you know, came out on screen. Yeah. But that wasn't the case um, after reshoots and was whatnot. So maybe it's overreacting. Yeah, I think the other thing that's interesting, I think we should point out, is that I haven't read a lot of reviews, but I've seen people critique reviews for this mindset where people are reviewing Book of Henry and mentioning, "Oh, well, Trevorrow's lined up to direct Episode Nine. Is 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 that a bad thing?" So. It's almost interesting that, you know, his first movie, his first indie is re- reviewed just as this is just some random movie directed by basically an unknown guy. Mm-hmm. Got great reviews. Then he took a blockbuster, got good reviews. Then Book of Henry comes out and he is being judged on, you know, the quality of Jurassic World, a blockbuster, but also through the through the lenses of, okay, well, this is a future Star Wars director. I'm curious to see if that, I mean, I, I can't know that. I can't look into people's hearts and minds and their reviews and pinpoint, okay, well, I think you're reviewing this harshly because this isn't a Star Wars movie or you can't see how this translates to Star Wars. And if I want, I'm curious how this movie would have done if he was just, if he was not a future Star Wars director, you know, would it just, would it have just been, okay, well, you know, that movie was, that movie was okay. It could have been better. Instead of, oh, well, you know, this movie tried a lot of things and failed. Yeah. Uh, and that's not going to work for Star Wars because you have to hit on everything. So it's 
it's interesting because you, this movie is reviewed, I think, for a lot of people with that mindset of, okay, this is the next Star Wars director and not, okay, what is what does Trevor do with this movie and just this movie alone? Yeah, and that, that's actually a really good thing to say because um, outside of, you know, and we were talking about Empire Strikes Back, I think a second ago. Do you know who directed Empire Strikes Back? Um, I cannot name him. Yeah, his name is Irvin Kushner. Kushner, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I, he, I'm looking at his, you know, um, his filmography here, and the only thing that raises eyes is Never Say Never Again, the James Bond movie, and RoboCop 2. Right. And then, you know, everything else has been a wash, but Empire Strikes Back is th- mm-hmm. the best Star Wars movie to date. Right. Still. And, you know, so maybe... um, he, Filmmaking is a series of trial and error, mm-hmm. and we ne- we've you know we laud indie directors because we've never heard of them before, and it's mainly you know a ragtag team, if you will, putting together something that people enjoy. So, you know, if Book of Henry was something where he was trying to learn and experiment with, you know, and that should be um, that should be considered, like you said, mm-hmm. you know. So it, I don't think it should be a collective freakout at the end of the day. But it does. It is an interesting idea to explore, though. Is some people will make movies that get panned, you know, and whatnot, or not do well commercially, which is the only thing that I guess technically matters mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the business side of things yeah. when you're looking to hire people. Um, and then why does he get opportunities, you know, going forward and like around? And I think that's where I, the the crux of the argument starts to go, mm-hmm. and you know, who gets opportunities and who do you choose? So, yeah, it's. All of it is extremely, there's so many threads to pull on when you're looking at uh, where you want to take this. Yeah. So any other thoughts on Trevorrow and his, our, our worries potentially about him on episode nine? Yeah. You know, I don't have any worries yet, but you know, you definitely have to wonder if getting his crew into space is, is going to happen. Um, <laughs> Probably not. If he, we'll, we'll see what the deal is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's about all I got. And I mean, yeah, we're still, I mean, we're through two years away from this movie hitting theaters. So, uh, and with, you know, the support of Lucasfilm, the studio system, they already know what they want this movie to be, uh, for the most part. And it's really just about Trevor executing their vision more so than, okay, well, here's, here's my, my take and intro into the star Wars franchise. Um, so again, I don't think there's anything to worry about right now. Maybe you know in a year from now, once you know filming is wrapped and everything, we'll we'll know more about okay, how how good did Trevor do? Uh, you know, has there been you know were massive reshoots required? All this different stuff, we'll know more and uh, discuss it then, as long as we're still around. So yes, sir. Uh, that's all the news and discussion for this week. Uh, with our review, what are we going to be reviewing next week? Well, Josh? next week, Marky Mark is going to bring the Transformers back to Earth, or whatever Marky Mark is going to do. But him, Isabella Moner, um, Anthony, Sir Anthony Hopkins, are going to lead the what looks like the the final resistance against the incoming Decepticon yeah. war of Autobots and humanity. And I'm looking forward to it because. It'll be my first Transformers movie, <laughs> and I, I, I think the mythology and you know all of that makes it one of the more interesting movies. I mean, it's got Nazis, so it does have Nazis <laughs> and King Arthur. So it does. 
will will it be a better <laughs> movie with Excalibur than King Arthur? Yes. Okay. But not by much. I I I tend to agree with you there, but uh, I will also not be shocked if this is just an abomination with just so many random plot holes and plot threads mm. that uh, just don't really make any sense. But, you know, hopefully Mark Wahlberg and Michael Bay get about go out on a high note for this franchise. It looks just absolutely insane. Um, it comes out on Wednesday instead of Friday. So uh, they just want to get a jump start on their opening weekend, yeah. I guess. So maybe we'll have uh, a review we'll in the can early. early. Maybe we'll see. Well, you never know. We'll see what happens. Uh, but we're not doing a preview or anything because that would just be ridiculous. This is the preview. Yes. Ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's all we got this week. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, over iTunes, give us a five-star view with comments. And if you do that, between now and the end of summer, you'll be entered into a giveaway to win a bunch of uh, posters for summer movies. We're collecting multiple posters throughout the summer and if you give us a review by the end you will be entered to win uh a collection of posters so please do that uh it just helps the show grow reach more audience which is uh you know we do this because we enjoy it but you know if more people listen to us that's always great as well so during our time wave be sure to touch thoughts everything we covered by trans at friends and film we will receive updates on podcast, movie news, and more. You can find Percy on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can argue with me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan. Yeah. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to tune in next week for a review of Transformers The Last Night. <laughs>